Doug closed his eyes and let the Pacific breeze blow through his sweaty hair. Born in Vancouver, Canada, he grew up in central Washington. He loved life in the Evergreen State. Doug came out of his reverie when he heard his name shouted from across the courtyard. Hey, Dougie! He looked over and saw his best friend Ray walk up to him. Ray Evans was known for his huge ears that stuck out from his head like wings. Doug laughed to himself as he remembered the week before when they had joked about it. Almost done here, just enjoying a break, Doug said as he looked down at the lawnmower he had just turned off. Doug and Ray were, in fact, only a few of the enlisted Coast Guardsmen who were stationed at Port Angeles, Washington. Ray wiped his brow. Man, it seems like they don't know what to do with us. I just cleaned an airplane that I could see my reflection in. That thing was squeaky clean already. Well now, Doug looked over at his friend. That's why they hired us. We're the best at what we do. Ray smiled as he was just about to return to his duties when they both heard a booming voice come from across the way. Hey, Dust Twins! They looked over at their commander coming at them. Doug and Ray were so close that they had been nicknamed the Gold Dust Twins. At first it was meant to be a funny insult, but it quickly became their celebrated nickname. The Gold Dust Twins looked at each other and wondered what would come next. They had trained to patrol the U.S. coastlines and save stranded sailors. They hadn't signed up to operate lawnmowers, clean latrines, and polish already spotless equipment. Little did they know that their commander was going to offer them a ticket out of their mundane duties and an opportunity to participate in the greatest adventure any of them would have imagined. This podcast is about heroes in the military and law enforcement. Some gave their service for America and served in the armed forces. Some have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom and others protected the local community and died in the line of duty. Our lives would be a whole lot different if it weren't for the hard work and sacrifice of these brave men and women. They could have gone on to live lives that were less dangerous. However, they dedicated themselves to your protection. If you ever have the pleasure of talking to one of them, they'll tell you, I'm not a hero, but I have the honor of walking beside a few. Others will say, the real heroes are those who didn't make it back home. This episode is dedicated to U.S. Coast Guard Signalman First Class Douglas Albert Monroe, LSVP Coxswain, USS Ballard. Monroe was born on October 11, 1919, in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. He was the only son of James Monroe, originally from California, and Edith Trower Ferry Monroe, from Liverpool, England. In 1922, the Monroes moved to Vancouver, Washington, where James worked as an electrician for Warren Construction Company. Despite being born in Canada, Douglas was already considered as a U.S. citizen, legally equivalent to birth citizenship, because both of his parents were citizens who had resided outside of the U.S. for a time. Douglas grew up in the small mountain town of South Clay Ellum in central Washington, where his father was manager of the Milwaukee Railroad Electric Substation. He graduated from high school in 1937 and attended Central Washington College of Education, now Central Washington University, for one year before leaving to enlist in the U.S. Coast Guard in 1939. 
Douglas had an outstanding record as an enlisted seaman and achieved the rank of signalman first class in record time. Since there was no training station for the Coast Guard in 1939, Monroe, along with a dozen other Coasties, were sent by bus to the Coast Guard Air Station at Port Angeles on the tip of the Olympian Peninsula. Arriving there as newbies, their superiors put them to work doing simple tasks such as mowing lawns, cleaning up, and servicing aircraft. It was here that Doug met his inseparable friend, Ray Evans Jr. The two spent so much time together that they became known as the Gold Dust Twins. They had a lot in common, both being from Washington. In fact, Ray's father had roots in Doug's own hometown of Clay Ellum, where he worked with the Pacific Telephone and Telegraph Company in the 1920s. A week after they arrived, the Coast Guardsmen were told that volunteers were needed to fill seven open positions on the three-year-old Coast Guard cutter Spencer that had been reassigned from Valdez, Alaska to Staten Island Coast Guard Base, New York. Monroe and Evans jumped at the opportunity, both serving aboard the Spencer until early 1941. It is a little-known fact that the U.S. Coast Guard played a major role in World War II. They worked closely with Marines and Navy and operated many of their landing craft. In 1941, the Coast Guard was commanded to operate three attack transporters, the Hunter Leggett, the American Legion, and the Joseph T. Dickman, all of which had previously been U.S. Army transporters. Coasties were told that signalmen were needed on the Hunter Leggett. So, after several days of imploring their higher-ups, Doug and Ray's commander, Harold S. Burdine, allowed them to transfer. Now aboard the Leggett at the Brooklyn Army Base, New York, the Gold Dust Twins found that they were attached to a Navy Commodore and a Coast Guard personnel officer. In their infinite wisdom, the U.S. Navy considered Coast Guardsmen as inexperienced in navigating ships and convoy or in multiple ship groups. So it was decided that the division's commander would be Navy. All other officers and NCOs on the ships were Coast Guard. Ray Evans said later during an interview, Doug was a vital, outgoing young man who liked everybody he met, with a few exceptions. He was fun to be around, and we had some great liberty times together. He was a hard worker, and we studied together to become proficient as Coast Guard signalmen. We didn't want the Navy battleship signalmen to think we couldn't compete, because we could, and did, all through the war. Doug and Ray heard that their commander received orders to control the Navy operating base on Guadalcanal in the Solomon Islands. Immediately, they raised their hands and volunteered for duty. Months later, they arrived in Guadalcanal, one of the Solomon Islands off the northeastern shore of Australia. The invasion of Guadalcanal would become the first marine offensive battle in the Pacific Theater during World War II. Ray was to man a Higgins boat full of marines that would land on the main island of Guadalcanal, while Doug's group was part of the landing on Tulagi Island, a smaller island 20 miles away from Guadalcanal. Offshore sat the transport ship, the USS Hunter Leggett. She was one of the biggest ships of her kind in the amphibious fleet, containing 35 landing craft, two tank lighters, and 634 Coast Guardsmen. At 22 years old, Monroe was in command of a group of Higgins boats. With dimensions of just over 36 by 11 feet, the Higgins boat was considered small. 
The 225-horsepower diesel engine only propelled the occupants to 12 knots, almost 14 miles per hour. It would lurch from side to side in rough waters. The sides and rear were fashioned out of plywood, providing minimal cover from enemy fire. However, the wooden makeup also kept the costs low and conserved on steel, of which the U.S. was in short supply during that time. The Higgins would secure either a 36-man platoon, a jeep plus a 12-man squad, or four tons of supplies. Its shallow draft allowed for it to run up under the shoreline, and additional add-ons shielded the propeller from sand and other debris. The steel ramp at the front was swiftly lowered to allow soldiers and provisions to unload. The boat's pilot would then reverse the engines, back up from the beach, and could return to the supply ship for another trip, all inside of three to four minutes. On August 7, 1942, Ray Evans and the other guardsmen and marines landed on Guadalcanal and met very little resistance. The marines were to secure a Japanese airfield not far from the beach. Twenty miles away, Monroe and the marines he and his guardsmen delivered met extreme resistance on Tulagi Island. During the first wave of fighting, 80% of the marines were wiped out during several days of fierce firefights. After the Guadalcanal and Tulagi landings were completed, the Gold Dust Twins reunited aboard the Spencer. By September 27th, the Marines who had landed on Guadalcanal mainland had discovered a massive force of Japanese fighters who had retreated from the airfield to the Matanikau River. Word came down from Marine Command that another force of Marines from the 1st Battalion, 7th Marines, was to land at Point Cruz to flank the Japanese and eventually link up with the original Marine force who were in desperate need. Coast Guard Commander Dexter then ordered Monroe and Evans' group of Higgins operators to transport the Marines to Point Cruz and drop them off at a small cove located on the eastern side of the point. The Gold Dust Twins were in separate boats, but they were headed in the same direction, armed with air-cooled Lewis 30 caliber machine guns. The group met with the USS Ballard, a converted destroyer which laid down covering fire on the beach before the Marines landed. The Higgins boats grinded the beach after delivering the Marines on the enemy-held island. Once they were on dry land, the Leathernecks were surprised that they were unchallenged by the enemy. As Monroe led the other boats back to the Ballard, the Marines came under intense fire and suffered 25 casualties. It was up to Evans and his crew to receive the wounded and transport them back to safety. While at the Ballard, the Gold Dust Twins prepared for more directives. Meanwhile, back on the beach, the Marines moved further inland from Point Cruz, where they were unexpectedly ambushed by a massively armed large troop of Japanese soldiers who outmanned them two to one. If they weren't evacuated soon, they would be overrun. With severe risk to his own life, Sergeant Danny Raisbrook, the Marine communicator, exposed himself to relay a distress signal to the Ballard. After further direction through Raysbrook, the Ballard's five-inch guns released a barrage of death on the progressing Japanese. Several minutes into the firefight, the Marines found themselves bunched together with the sea behind them and a rain of death coming from the onrushing enemy. Monroe and Evans heard that the Marines they had just offloaded were in trouble and offered to return with several boats to rescue them. 
Upon arrival, Monroe and Evans decided to remain in their empty Hickens boats so they could cover the Marines as they filled into other boats that had arrived on the beach. Monroe's boat finally ran ashore to rescue the battle-fatigued Marines. He strategically positioned himself to shelter the entrenched Marines from the advancing foes. Monroe's two gunners provided cover for the Marines. After Petty Officer Ray Evans was wounded, Monroe took his place and continued firing. After all Marines were on board, including about 25 walking wounded, the boats headed back to safety. Through the din of battle, the Ballard's guns continued to pound and the Lewis machine guns from the Higgins boats chattered on. As they hurried around the end of the cove, they looked over and saw another Higgins boats filled with Marines that was trapped on the beach, unable to back up. Monroe then directed his boat to tow them out. This took a grueling 20 minutes, as Doug and the other gunners scanned the beach with their 30 calibers. However, they didn't see any movement in the tree line. With Murnos Higgins towing the other boat out to sea, Evans and the others fell into line behind them and punched their throttles to full power. Ray Evans then looked back to where the boat had been marooned on the beach and saw machine gun fire coming from Japanese who were now directly shooting at their group of boats. Evans looked toward Monroe, who was looking ahead, and saw the immediate danger. He yelled for Monroe to get down, but his voice was lost over the roar of engines. Finally, when Monroe turned his head to hear what Evans was yelling, it was too late. He immediately fell out of sight as he received a round through his neck at the base of his skull. The boats finally arrived at the Ballard. As he was hoisted aboard, Monroe breathed his last words. Did they get off? Confident that the Marines were out of danger, he smiled and then died. Ray Evans, who received the Navy Cross later for his actions at Guadalcanal, recalled his last moments with his fellow Gold Dust twin. He wanted to be sure the Marines were gone off. That's the kind of guy he was. He wanted to complete things. I think he was the one that pushed us in teaching ourselves to be good signalmen. He was the pusher, perhaps more than I was. He had the energy, and he'd get burned out, too. He pushed it so hard he'd burn himself out and had to recover, but that's the way Doug was, and he was on that. Although we were working together on that, he was really the leader, and I was glad to be with him and back him up. Ray Evans continued in the U.S. Coast Guard until 1962, retiring as commander and serving for a total of 23 years. He died in 2013 in Tacoma, Washington at the age of 92. Due to Douglas Monroe's superior guidance, skilled preparation, and courageous adherence to duty, he and his fearless signalmen saved the lives of many Marines who would have otherwise perished on that beach. He boldly sacrificed his life for his country. On May 24, 1943, President Roosevelt presented Monroe's parents with the Medal of Honor. Douglas Monroe became the first and only Coast Guardsman to receive the Medal of Honor. Following the death of her only son, Edith Monroe decided to join the Women's Reserve of the Coast Guard, called Semper Paratus, Always Ready, or SPARS, just three days after her son was pinned with the Medal of Honor. After several assignments, she retired on November 1, 1945, as a lieutenant. Even in post-retirement, she was very active in the Guard, attending many events. 
The most memorable was the 40th anniversary of the Battle of Guadalcanal. Monroe's Medal of Honor is on display at the Coast Guard Training Center, Cape May, New Jersey. He received the Navy version of the Medal of Honor because during that time, the Coast Guard operated under the Department of Navy and there was no individual Coast Guard version. In 1963, the Coast Guard variant of the Medal of Honor was established. However, as I stated before, no one has of yet to receive the award. Two ships were named after Douglas Monroe. The first was a U.S. Navy destroyer escort that was commissioned on July 11, 1944. She saw battle during World War II and Korea. Ray Evans spoke about the USS Monroe. No one was more pleased than I to have a high-endurance cutter, U.S. Coast Guard Monroe, named after him. I hope there is always a Monroe in the Coast Guard fleet. The USS Douglas A. Monroe was taken out of service in 1960 and sunk for target practice in January 1966. Ray Evans would have been proud when the second ship, the U.S. Coast Guard Cutter Monroe, was commissioned on April 1, 2017. It is still currently in service. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Remember My Name podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at RememberMyNamePodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at RememberMyNamePodcast and Twitter at RMNPodcast. Now take a moment and remember this name, Douglas Monroe.